Our passage today is 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 15. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false prophets false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their their end will correspond to their deeds. This is God's word. Well, good morning, Cross Point. So glad that you could join us for our gathering, our time of worship today. And um, last week I had the opportunity to get a little rest and relaxation up in the mountains of Franklin, North Carolina. Now, uh, on our vacations uh, with uh, our family, I have twins that are boy and girl uh, that are 11 years old and a nine-year-old girl. Uh, our Our vacation wouldn't seem very restful or relaxing because from the moment we hit the ground, we are go, go, go. But there's something that's restful about that. Uh, when I get into the mountains, there's something about restful in being in God's creation and overlooking the Smoky Mountains and seeing the wonder and majesty of our God and King. There's something that's restful to my heart when I wake up in the morning in the cool, crisp air uh, is still there, uh, not the humidity of Florida. But the cool, crisp air is something that I can go outside and open my Bible and do uh, devotional uh, with. And uh, what a great time I had. I hope that even this summer, even with the coronavirus pandemic, you can get a little social distancing, whether that is here or there or anywhere, uh, but more so to give you fuel for the mission ahead. Uh, And uh, I'm thankful for Cross Point Downtown right now because We have been trudging through the last several months in doing this portable church, but also church online. Thankful for our worship team, Pastor Josiah, our volunteers. So many people make this happen so that you can be encouraged in the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that you can grow in God's grace, so that we as the church can be the church. Because we're not confined to the four walls of a building 
But we believe that God speaks to his people wherever they are. And as you're scattered about in the city of Orlando, and many are watching from other places around the nation, uh, we are so glad uh, that we can be God's church and God's people together. So today we're continuing our series in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, as Jen had just read. And we're looking into the dangers of false teachings. The dangers of false teachings and false teachers. On July 17, 2020, J.I. Packer went to be with the Lord. He was 93 years old. J.I. Packer is a, wildly, a widely respected theologian. In fact, he's considered the most or one of the most influential theologians of the 20th century. He had 70 years of ministry and he saw himself as a voice that called people back to the old paths of truth and wisdom. J.I. Packer served as a pastor, professor, author, theologian. He considered himself a foot washer or servant of the church. Perhaps he is most well known for a work called Knowing God that sold over 1.5 million copies. Packer said that he wrote this book because it is the ignorance of God that lies at the root of much of the church's weaknesses today. J.I. Packer died a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before J.I. Packer died, somebody asked him this question. He, he, he asked the question, he said, what would your final words to the church be? The 93-year-old Packer answered him. He says, I think I could boil it down to four words. Glorify Christ in every way. Glorify Christ in every way. J.I. Packer's encouragement to the church as he departed this world and entered into the eternity with Christ as he handed off this bride he so lovingly and faithfully led to the generation that comes after him, awaiting the return of Christ or until Christ calls us home. But his words of faithfulness to the church that he left were glorify Christ every way. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, speaks some of those very same words as he warns the church against false teachings and false apostles. He says that he's concerned that the church would be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's his aim. That as Paul is preaching to these churches that he's leading, the church of Corinth being one of them, that they would remain steadfast in a pure and sincere devotion to Jesus Christ. That they would glorify Christ every way. And that is why Paul is, is warning them against false teachers, false apostles, sheeps in wolves' clothing, those who would come into the midst 
of the church in order to steal, kill, and destroy those who would deceptively lead the church away from a pure and sincere devotion in Christ. And we must recognize that as the church, we are susceptible to false teachings. We are susceptible to being led astray. And that our goal, our aim, is that we would walk with a sincerity of devotion. That that would mark my life today. That that would mark my life tomorrow. That, Lord willing, the Holy Spirit would lead me to walk in a faithfulness. Would lead our church to walk in a faithfulness until Christ comes back or he calls us home. That we, like J.R. Packer, can utter those same words. It is so worth it. Glorify Christ every way. So the big idea for our time together is that false teaching leads the church away from the purity and sincerity of Jesus Christ. False teaching leads the church away from, or Paul says astray from, the purity and sincerity of our devotion to Jesus Christ. We're going to look at three things from this passage. We're going to see that false teaching is deadly. We're going to see that false teaching is different. And we're going to see that false teaching is deceptive. Before we go there, though, I want to take us on a little detour because Paul actually takes us on a little detour as well. So you'll notice that Paul talks about uh, uh, being an unpaid pastor, essentially, for the church of Corinth. And that is something that he has chosen He's chosen not to receive a monetary benefit from the goods and services that he provides for the church of Corinth. Not that this is, uh, that, that he's not entitled to these things. In fact, if Paul were to take a collection for his services, in fact, it would be considered his right. But he chooses not to. And so the reason why this part is important is because One of the things that Paul wants to do in this is he wants to expose the the motives of his detractors. He wants to expose the motives of his opponents. There are some whom he sarcastically calls super apostles. They are those who have elevated themselves above the apostle Paul, discredited Paul in order to advance their selves. And one of the things that they are telling the church of Corinth in all likelihood is that if Paul is so good, if Paul is an apostle, if Paul is genuine in his authority, then why doesn't he charge you for it? Why doesn't he charge you for what he does? You know, if what he offers to you is so good, then why is it so cheap? And so they're saying he's cheapening it. He's making it less than. And so they, it was common for those who were skilled in rhetoric those who even taught religion to go into a city to accumulate for themselves an audience. And as a result, they would have a collection or they would charge for the goods and services that they offered. And so these super apostles were those who sought to do it for payment. Paul says he won't accept payment. We're going to look into a couple of the reasons of these motivations, but uh, one of the things I want us to see is that we read earlier, actually Jen read this earlier, that Paul has a divine jealousy for the church. He's motivated by a, a sincere love. 
It's not a jealousy of someone who is looking over his shoulder all the time, but someone who wholeheartedly wants to see his church thrive and is jealous that their affections remain pure and good and true for the Lord. In fact, a little while later, Paul says that he's motivated by this genuine love. So he's not motivated by monetary gain. And so some of the reasons why Paul refused to take payment for the church or from the church is that, number one, we see that he was generously supported by the church of Macedonia. It was customary for Paul to get done or conclude preaching uh, in a certain area, and at the conclusion of that preaching, he would take a collection, or uh, Paul and his entourage and his crew would take a collection for a future work, a future endeavor, where they would go to another place and preach and proclaim the gospel. And the place where they were before would fuel that gospel work. The second thing that we see in verse 9 is that Paul didn't want to be a burden to the church of Corinth. If you read 1 Corinthians, you'll know that uh, the church was made of a different group of people. Some of those were wealthy, but the majority of them were poor. They were former slaves. They didn't have uh, uh, significant means. And so Paul didn't want to be a burden on these people. And I think it's unsaid here. I think Paul also knew the dangers with taking a collection from people who he also had to proclaim an accurate message to. Meaning that if Paul took a collection from people who were overly generous of his services and he was reliant upon them, then somehow his message might be skewed towards the way they wanted him to preach. And so Paul, in not collecting money, was not beholden to anyone. And the third reason we see from the text is to expose the motivation of his opponents. If the, his opponents are collecting a fee then Paul can easily use this as a boast. Not as a boast about himself, but a boast about Christ's genuine love for his church. That he is not beholden to the almighty dollar. And since the money isn't there, he is there genuinely for love. And as Paul exposes that as his boast, he exposes the boast of his opponents who are very much centered upon self. And so, we might also acknowledge there's a fourth reason, and the fourth reason we don't see explicitly in the text, but you'll understand it, is that oftentimes Paul went into unreached peoples and unreached areas, and the thing that Paul wanted to matter most is what matters most. It wasn't his paycheck. And in order not to complicate what is the simple truths of the gospel, he chose not to collect payment where he went, but would allow his services to be provided voluntarily in generous supporters from Macedonia and Philippi and other areas would support the Apostle Paul and, uh, and allow his gospel work to advance. We see this in missionaries here in the United States and around the world, that as they share the gospel and proclaim the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. In order to do that, those funds are necessary for their work. And so there's a raising of funds that takes place that we wholeheartedly support as the church. And we wholeheartedly acknowledge that even Paul made great sacrifices for that to happen as he worked bivocationally as a tent maker. Okay, so there's our detour. 
Now let's look into the text at the dangers of these false teachings and false teachers. Number one, false teaching is deadly, verses 1 through 3. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3 says, I wish you would bear me with, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Paul is speaking sarcasm here, by the way. You can assume that his opponents are calling Paul the foolish apostle that you must just bear with. So he is saying, I wish you would bear with me, bear with me a little foolishness for a moment. Do bear with me. I, defe- I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So you see the the deadly nature of false teaching here in the illustration that Paul points us to from the beginning and foundation of the earth when Eve is deceived by the snake. Now, it's interesting because you see all of these warnings that are there. False teaching is deadly. It was the teachings of the devil, the snake, and the belief of Eve of the snake over her creator that allowed her to follow that deceptive teaching and thus die. Now, I know that she didn't die immediately, but this is what sin does. It's subtle slowly kills because the sin wasn't an immediate or the 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 death wasn't an immediate physical death but the death happened later on and the death wasn't just a death to her body but a death to our souls and that's what sin does is it deceives us and it slowly brings about a painful but not obvious death when we follow the teachings that aren't of God. And now Paul illustrates this principle here further with the principle of marriage. He says, Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. In the Old Testament Jewish tradition, when a woman was betrothed to a husband, uh, a groom, there was a contract that was drawn up. And it outlined a, an, a transfer of authority. And the transfer of authority was from the father to the groom. And it meant that the father was responsible for this woman's devotion to her husband, that she would be undefiled, unadulterated, presented pure to her groom. And in this betrothal, uh, it was at this point that marriage was actually legally recognized. In fact, if uh, a wife uh, or a, um, a woman were to break up or, or a man were to break up an engagement, they would need a certificate for divorce because it was legally recognized as them to be married at the moment of betrothal. During the engagement, the, the groom would go and prepare a place for his future bride and their future family. And during this period of time, the father was responsible for the purity and devotion of the bride for the groom until that day. He knew it. He wanted his daughter 
to be handed over to the groom and for her love to be true and sincere for him. And then comes the wedding. This is the day where the transfer of authority would take place as the father faithfully takes the hand of the bride and places it into the hand of the groom. And now the groom is her spiritual leader, the head of household, the one who is her lover. And on that wedding day, their marriage is consummated and a great celebration would take place. And the faithful father would be rewarded with his heart overwhelming with joy as his daughter is committed to the husband of her future for the rest of their life. Represents a covenant. Now the thing that the nation of Israel recognized is outside of covenant there was death. If you were outside of the covenant of God, this divine betrothal where Israel, the people of God, are betrothed to God himself, if you were outside of that covenant, there was death. In the same way, outside of the covenant, outside of our hearts, steadfastly, steadfastly following after God, there is death. And that death is because of self-centered motives that cause us to take our eyes off the groom and to put our eyes on the things of this world, idolatry. And our hearts become polluted with created things and we no longer worship the Creator who is forever blessed, but we give our lives to lesser loves. And that's the warning that leads to death. The second thing we see is false teaching is different. Uh, verses, uh, verse 4 here. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. There's a deadliness in false teaching is that false teaching is is kind of like the truth, but it's not. It's fake news. This is why fake news is so believable, because it offers us something that is like the real thing in order to get us to believe it. But instead of being the real thing, it's an imposter. And it's an imposter that kind of tickles our hearts, tickles our ears. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, For there is a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. You know, we as the church need to be discerning with the teachings that come into our lives. And we're not just talking to you about teachings that come from those who proclaim the Word of God. Of course, we need to put that even under a greater scrutiny. But do you know that when we go to bed at night, we go to bed with false teachings right here in our phone. It's the news articles we read. It's the Facebook posts. It's those things that are the fake news that tickle our heart in order to cause us to go in a diverted direction away from God that moves us in the wrong way. So we must recognize the beauty of the gospel in order to know the real Jesus, the real faithful power of the Holy Spirit, and the real gospel 
that Jesus Christ lived a perfect and sinless life, that he died a sinner's death, that on the third day he rose again and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day he is coming back to take what is his and to judge the living and the dead. And that we would know that truth, be beholden to that truth, and steadfastly pursue that truth. This is the gospel that the scriptures proclaim. Anything else is an imposter. I think it's interesting how the political left is able to identify the fake news of the political right, and the political right is able to identify the fake news of the political left. But we, as the people of God, how much more should be discerning of the fake news that seeks to be an imposter of scripture? Several years ago, there was a revival in Lakeland. These Lakeland revivals were uh, claims of healings and miracles and conversions and life change and, and demons were casted out and there was freedom abounding. It was all led by this man named Todd Bentley. And over a period of time, many people, even here in Central Florida, even in the church where I was ministering at, would ask the question, what do you think about the Lakeland Revivals? What do you think about this man, Todd Bentley? And it's pretty easy to recognize a false teacher as you look at their fruit. You look at the fruit of their life, you look at the fruit of their teaching. And so you had claims that there was healings of spina bifida, uh, the common cold could be anything. But yet somehow this man who had done these amazing things, he didn't pass the sniff test. He didn't pass the litmus, litmus test. And I warned people of these teachings. It was later revealed that charismatic church leaders were questioning his teaching over time. Eventually the Lakeland revivals lost their revival and they started to die down. And after the Lakeland revivals died down, Pastor Todd Bentley left his wife and had committed adultery with a female staffer, later to marry this female staffer. If you follow Todd Bentley's life today, you'll see that he's promoting his own brand of beard cream or some kind of man product that he's trying to sell. If you follow him on Facebook, he's got the blue check and almost all of his posts is asking people for money. This is a man who, yes, believes in these divine miracles and powers, but his words are exposed as false. Todd Bentley actually said uh, this, and I'll quote him. He says, I'm going to make a statement that you might not believe. You might even find it offensive. Fortunately, it's not just my opinion. I got it from the Apostle Paul, who picked it up from Jesus. So don't get upset with me. Here it is. You haven't fully preached the gospel of Christ if you haven't done it with miracles and signs and wonders. Interesting what he writes there. Because what's left of his ministry aren't the miracles and signs and wonders, but it's his own life and doctrine going astray. And that different teaching is something that we must acknowledge because all around us this different teaching abounds. And for the real Jesus, there's a million imposters. That's why we have to know the real Jesus, the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit, and the fullness of the gospel that he has given us. 
Galatians 1.8 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Listen, church. I read these words with a great deal of fear and trepidation that I might get wrong what matters most. That I would diligently be led by the Lord of the Word to preach the Word of the Lord. That we, church, would be led by Him and we would know His truth and follow after Him. Last point is deceptive teaching, verses 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise that if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Satan disguised himself as an angel of light in order to show that he was not darkness but light. It was deception. Satan is continually using deception. Part of Satan's goal in using deception is to proclaim what is evil as good and what is good as evil. And now, Satan doesn't work in this drastic measure. You look at the Garden of Eden and how Eve was deceived by the devil and how she ate of the forbidden fruit. And when Eve ate of that forbidden fruit, she was deceived and that deception was something that she wholeheartedly bought into because the pain and reality of that deception didn't take full effect right away. In fact, her husband Adam ate the fruit of the garden. And Adam came under the curse of God. And Adam, who was head, who was called to lead his bride to a sincerity and devotion to God, did not protect her in the way that God had called her to so she was deceived by the devil, and Adam was deceived by his wife. And it was Adam's responsibility because Adam, instead of being the loving husband he was called to be, had abdicated that responsibility and gave it over to a snake. And it's so easy for us to walk astray and see that the consequences are death every single time. And the reason why false teaching is so deceptive and so cunning and even so belie believable is because it's, it's disguised as truth. It's disguised as good. And we just slowly start to drift away. No one sets out to leave the faith. But ultimately, if you're just walking in one direction away from the way that God has called you to, over time there's a great chasm to where you're worshiping a completely different Jesus. You're following a completely different gospel and you're not walking in the faithfulness of the spirit of God that's in you and that deception steals and takes away from us sin is subtle Satan is subtle he uses trickery he's been at it for a long time he knows the gospel better than you do trust me but he doesn't believe it nor does he bow down to Jesus as Lord and so we must recognize it the application here is twofold. Number one, how do you spot a false teacher? Number two, how do you, how do you discern false teachings? Number one, how do you spot a false teacher? 1 Timothy 4.16 Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 
Paul writes this to his young mentor in the faith who's going to lead long after Paul leaves. And he says, keep watch on your life and on your doctrine. Persist in these things. One of the ways you easily expose false teachers is looking at one of those two things, their life and their doctrine. They might say the right things, they might do the right things, but does their doctrine match their life? Or does their life match their doctrine? Are they living with ulterior motives? Are they seeking to advance self or advance Jesus Christ? Are they seeking self-vain glory or are they seeking the glory of Jesus Christ? Yes, we are hesitant to follow after preachers that ask for money all the time for good reason because that's one of the ways their life is exposed as a farce. And what is false? We also must watch their doctrine. Do they preach and teach the sincerity of scriptures? The book that God has called us to preach and teach. Are they anchored to the word of God more than anything else? And do they practice what they preach? You know, here at Crosspoint, we take it very seriously when someone comes to the pulpit that they don't just know the right things or say the right things, but their life exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Because against those things, there is no law, there is no accusation. And we aren't perfect, but we do strive to walk with a sincerity and pure devotion. And those who come and preach and teach to you the Word of God are those who will come genuinely motivated to help you on the race to run in faithfulness. The second question is, how do you discern if a teaching is false? I want to give you three S's to help you understand how to discern that if a teaching is false. The first S is sin. Sin. Do they have a biblical, is this teaching a biblical understanding of sin? You know, oftentimes you can easily discern false teaching because they either say that sin is something that is irredeemable, that irrecoverable. Uh, uh, when you fall into sin and temptation, there's no redemption, or they say there's no sin. That really, God is in this pie of a sky God that is pie in the sky God that's okay with anything. They don't have an understanding of sin that says it separates us from God. And that we, because of sin, are deserving eternal damnation, separation, wrath from God. And then to preach the gospel is to preach with a robust understanding. That sin leads to death 100% of the time. And so that we would walk in faithfulness means, to, means our eyes are fixed on Christ. The second thing that Paul, false teachers get wrong is that they don't have a robust understanding of suffering. In fact, they teach you that in this life you are not to suffer. Some will even go as far to say that because Christ suffered and died, you need not to. But yet, it goes contrary to the teachings of Jesus. 
Because the teachings of Jesus says that you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow after me. But false teachers will not teach a self-denial. They will not teach an understanding that we must carry the cross, that we must embrace suffering. That following after Christ isn't an escape of the sufferings of this world, but is allowing the sufferings of this world to point us to a suffering Savior who died for our sins. And that's the last S, the substitute. My sin was placed upon him, Jesus. And he was punished in my place on that cross. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 My sin was put upon him. That he died the death I deserve. And that I get the righteous life that he lived and I get the eternal reward or inheritance that he deserves. That because he died for me, I can live for him. He is my substitute. He is my redeemer king. And this is the reality that false teachers will not proclaim because false teachers don't believe it. And they're motivated in ungodly ways because they believe that this world is paradise rather than the the divine promise of God that's given to us in Jesus Christ. I want to revisit for a moment the earlier illustration of betrothal. And I want to help us understand this in light of false teachings because there's a lot at stake here. And I'll tell you, in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, there are so many teachings that are coming through the channels and airwaves of our lives that we must wholeheartedly reject. But let's look at it through the eyes of God's love. Sam Storms, he talks to pastors about how we are called to lead the church in the same way a father is to lead his daughter, to the groom. And he says this, Imagine you're the father of the bride. Standing at your side, clinging to your arm, is the most beautiful young lady you've ever seen. It's your child, your daughter. At the altar stands the bridegroom. Your task is really quite simple. Escort her safely down the aisle. Without hesitation, without distraction, without the slightest falter in your step. Your role is to keep her eyes fixed on the bridegroom. Young men she has known are in attendance. They are straining to catch her eye, to divert her attention, perhaps even to dissuade her from consummating her engagement. Many will tell her she's made a mistake, that it's not too late to turn back. Your task is to do whatever you must to keep her heart fixed and riveted on the man awaiting her arrival. Warn her of the dangers along the way. Remind her of the commitment that she has already made. But above all else, describe for her the glory of the groom. Speak highly of him. 
impress upon her that he alone can satisfy the longings of her soul, describe the eternal sacrificial love that he has consistently displayed. Should she feel faint, bring refreshment. Should she veer off course, lose her nerve, or begin to have second thoughts or cold feet, you're entrusted with a sacred responsibility of delivering her into the arms of her lover, pure and virginal. Cross point. The reason why God gives us teachings and warnings against false teachers is so that we would have our eyes fixed on Christ. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Any teaching that tells you otherwise is an imposter. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that today we have the opportunity to grow in your grace. Thank you that today our eyes can be riveted upon you. Thank you that even in this teaching of exposing false teachers and false teaching, Lord, you're leading us to acknowledge that right now maybe we've been following after some of these things. Maybe we've confused a self-help gospel with the real gospel of Jesus Christ, who is our only help and hope. Maybe we've confused a therapeutic gospel for the counsel of the Lord. Maybe we've confused, God, these false teachings and idolatries, God, for, uh, that, that have, have caused our love to be impure. God, I thank you that there is turning back, that you, God, as our faithful Father, correct our course, give us the forgiveness that we need, and you again fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.